knows my name now But something about it still feels strange Like looking in a mirror trying to steady yourself and seeing somebody else I was so surrounded, millions of people in the audience, but I still felt lonely, I still felt misunderstood, I still felt hurt. Maybe when I'm older it'll all calm down, but it's killing me now. I actually teared up in that video when I was watching Jacob Tremblay, who's an incredible young actor, play me. I just had no idea what was to come. I had no idea that this life would take me by storm. I had no idea that I would just get sucked up by all of this stuff. And that's just oh so lonely. I'm so lonely. lonely. There were so many people who were just so mean. Random people saying like, you suck. I would shake it off and act like it didn't bother me, but that stuff bothered me. And then it affected how I how I acted and how I treated people. And it's just this ongoing like cycle of like hurt people, hurt people. I just was this young like kid. Hello, everybody. My name is Jamie, and I'm so excited that I get to be here with all of you. I work at Hope's West Des Moines campus, and I lead Revive, which is our young adult ministry for people in their 20s and 30s. So if any of you all end up in Des Moines after you graduate or before you graduate, we'd love to have you come hang out with us. Also, as long as I'm here and before we get into talking about the Beebs and the message tonight, I do want to give you a shameless invitation to our Revive Worship Night. There's a Hope Worship Night that you just heard about in announcements. And if you have any opportunity to make sure that you get there, please do. We also have a Revive Worship Night happening two nights before that. It's just like the week of worship. I don't know, something like that. But uh, it's going to be really unique and different than the worship night on Saturday night, on the evening of Palm Sunday. The chapel at Hope West Des Moines is where we meet, and we're going to have everyone be in a giant circle around the room. Uh, we're doing a live recording, so that's going to be really fun. And so if, uh, if you hear of any opportunity to carpool down or get down there, Danny mentioned something to me about maybe getting some people together to go. We would love, love, love to have you come down. And also, shameless invitation to any seniors. Um, if you want to come check out Young Adult Ministry, we would love to have you. So that's all my like PR for you tonight. Um, I'm really excited to be here at Kairos. I love Ames. I grew up in Nevada. And my parents are Iowa State alums. My sister works at Iowa State. We've got some Iowa State Revive people here with us tonight. So that's really fun and exciting. And I just like being here with all of you. Uh, this is just a really fun opportunity for me. And so we're going to talk about a really cool Bible story tonight. It's one of my absolute favorites, and I love talking about it slash her. And uh, yeah, but before we get into talking about the Bible story tonight, I want to talk about the clip that you just saw. You saw somebody who's made millions of dollars in his lifetime. Justin Bieber sings about um, on his Freedom EP. By the time he was 17, he had a milli. Like, I didn't have a million dollars when I was 17. I don't know if any of you did. Uh, but so often we can look at people like Justin Bieber and think, like, he literally has it all. And it can be shocking sometimes to hear him talk about things like that, that, like, I'm lonely. 
Like I have all of these things. I have all of the fame I could want. I have this incredible relationship with a wife. He's got all of these friends. He's got like literally, he could have anything he wanted, but he wrote this song called Lonely that came out at a really perfect time, um, October-ish or summer 2020. Like who wasn't lonely in 2020? So not only, yeah, you weren't lonely in 2020. Awesome. There's one of you. That's really great. You were, okay, I was too. There were so many of us that were lonely in 2020. And so I think there's a reason that song got released at that point in time, Uh, but it struck a chord. It really struck a chord. So I don't know how many of you have felt lonely, not just in 2020 or in 2021, but now in 2022, maybe there's some distance in a relationship that kind of eats at you. Maybe there is a separation that you feel like, man, that like has some ache in my heart. Maybe you feel uh, just like the connections that you wanted to have with friends at school or um, with roommates or people on your floor or wherever it is that that you might live. There's so many different ways where we can just feel cut off and disconnected and not having the like flourishing, incredible, life-giving relationships that we want to have. And we can feel so lonely, can feel so, so lonely. It reminds me of uh, two years ago this week as a church, uh, 2020 had happened and uh, 2020, it was like March, like 11th or 13th or somewhere right in there when Hope canceled worship services in person. We went completely online, which was a a wild move for us. And we decided as a church staff, we were going to attempt a feat of greatness. And that was to call every single phone number in our church database. Now, Hope is a very large congregation. And across our campuses, we have like a a bonkers number of people in our database, which is really cool. But also we wanted to make sure that all of these people felt seen and heard and connected with when the world just kind of stopped. And we were told like, you actually can't see the people that you want to see. Um, at least um, not in a college setting. I don't know what that was like for all of you who are here in a college setting, uh, living in dorms. And that would have been very different. And I think an extra amount of difficult. And so anyway, we were making all these phone calls. And so I'm an introvert. Uh, and so like picking up the phone, like I used to have to do that in middle school with a thing called a landline. And, uh, and so we'd have to like pick up the phone and call people. And I just don't like doing that now that I don't have to, we have these like fun things that you can use to just not not call people and just text them. So I was like, but I need to call people. And so I decided I was going to start our phone calls, my phone calls with people that I actually knew. So I called this girl who's on our, uh, revive team. She's really great. We've been close for several years and I was like, okay, I'll call her. She'll be my first phone call. I'll like break the ice with her and then it will all be great. So I called her and she picked up the phone and was like, I can't believe you're calling me right now. And I was like, oh my gosh, what happened? I don't know what happened. She, and she just kept repeating it. I can't believe you called me right now. I can't believe you called me right now. And I was like, okay, like did something happen? And as she just shared with me that what had happened, she'd had a really rough night the night before. She'd fallen asleep crying. She woke up in the middle of the night, couldn't get back to sleep and just felt so lonely. She felt so disconnected. She was married. I had officiated their wedding. Um, Love her, love her husband. And she's like, we had this weird fight. He wasn't like connecting with me. And I just was like in the thick of it. And so in in the middle of the night, she had cried out to God in prayer and was like, God, does, and I'm praying for all of these people. I'm paying attention to caring for all these people right now in this really weird time. But is anyone praying for me? Is anyone thinking about me? 
I'm doing all of this stuff, and she's an Enneagram 2, if any of you know Enneagram things, but like Enneagram 2s are the helpers, so of course she's thinking about everybody else, and she just wanted to know if anybody was thinking about her. And the thing is, so often that thought isn't just something that sticks with us in the time of 2020, but is anyone thinking about me? Is anyone praying for me? Is anyone uh, attending to what I've got going on? That's still a thing that we think about. That's not just a COVID-related thing. And so um, we're looking at origin, this study of Genesis. We're going to look at an individual who really fits this theme really well. But before we talk about her story, there's also a theme that I want to talk about. And that is, we are right now as the global church in a season called Lent. Everybody say Lent. Lent. Say it with gusto. Lent. Yeah, okay. Let's do that a third time because that was weaker than the first time. Okay, and we're not talking about like the lint that's in your pocket. We're talking L-E-N-T. It's called Lent. Okay, on your marks, get set, go. Everybody say Lent. Okay, that was fantastic. We're in the season of Lent right now, which is the 40-day journey up to Easter. And it's a time of renewal. It's a time of refreshing. It's a time of really paying attention and being intentional with our relationship with God. And there's another theme kind of embedded into Lent. Um, One of the reasons why it's the 40-day lead up to Easter is that Jesus, uh, at the beginning of his ministry, went out into the wilderness for 40 days and was tempted by uh, by the devil. There's a lot of other people who were in the desert for 40 days. The Israelites were in the wilderness for 40 years. And so Lent has this theme of wilderness to it, of of really taking the time to explore these wilderness areas in our lives, as uncomfortable sounding as that might be, and wondering like, okay, in the wilderness of my life, or in the places in my life where I feel like I might be in the wilderness, where I feel a deep sense of longing for connection, where I feel lonely, wondering where is God? Does anybody see me? And taking the time to really dig in and pay attention, um, especially in seasons of COVID where wilderness and disconnection are just so real, but then also thinking like, well, when the world feels uncertain, when the world feels like it's a little bit unsteady and we don't know what's going to happen next. I don't know about you, but like two months ago, it felt like everyone that I knew and their mom had COVID. Like everyone had COVID two months ago. And then I realized the other day, like somewhere midway through March, I can't tell you the last person that I knew that was like, oh yeah, I, I like tested positive for COVID or I had an exposure or whatever. And so, but, uh, and so it felt like, okay, like the world is like really back at peace again. And then Putin invades the Ukraine and it feels like we're on the verge of World War III. And I don't mean to like set off your anxiety by saying that. It just felt like this blow to my sense of like hope and wellness. And it felt like it sent me back into this place of wilderness and wondering like, man, where is the work of God? Where is the goodness of God? So I don't know what the wilderness has felt like for you lately. Maybe it's been like unrealized expectations, something that you really wanted that has not come to fruition, something that you maybe you had expressed or that you hadn't expressed, but it just has not happened. It's not been realized. Maybe you've had mental or physical health issues that that have kind of popped up. Maybe they're chronic, maybe they're new, maybe there have been relationship shifts that have happened that have brought you to a place of loneliness or wilderness, maybe some job changes. Now, this is copied from Revive stuff, so the job changes applies maybe a little bit more to them, but maybe you had some situations change with finances as a student, financial uncertainty, or maybe it's just this general feeling of like, 
something is not right. (laughs) Something is not right in my life and I can't quite put my finger on what it is. There's all sorts of times where we wonder in the wilderness, where is God and what in the world is God up to? I think about that even today. It's really funny. Uh, Every single time I talk about the story that we're talking about tonight, I need it in the, in like the, the worst way, not like the worst, but like the best way. Like I just, I need this story because it brings me comfort and it always catches me off guard. When I think about wilderness, I'm going to share something very personal with you. And I might get emotional, which is kind of weird when you don't know a ton of the people uh, in the room. But today was a really difficult day for me. And I really felt like I was in the wilderness for a lot of different reasons. I had five difficult conversations today. Uh, one kind of like right after another. <laughs> and it started with, um, t- I'm in school. It started with tutoring at eight o'clock in the morning. And I was like, oh my gosh. Um, But today was a day where um, a family member of mine was waiting to hear if they were going to get a transplant for an organ that they've been on the list to possibly get a transplant for, for like a really long time. And so this aunt of mine, my aunt Julie, has been on this transplant list and she's been on the transplant list at Mayo. She's been on the transplant list at other places. And she just got the call the other day saying, we might have something you're number two on the list pack a bag and get ready to be here. We'll call you within this certain window of time on Wednesday and let you know if number one person got the organ or if it's going to come to you. And so like this opportunity to have hope, to have my aunt have this transplant that she has been waiting for years to have in her body was like this hope when it, when it comes to us can feel so like, I don't, I don't dare to hope, but oh my gosh, this would just be incredible if this could happen. And I just found out like three hours ago that she didn't get the organ. She didn't get the transplant. And that's really emotional for me. It stirs up a lot of things in our family that that is related to as well. Um, I have a different aunt that had this same um, need of having an organ transplant. She was sick for a really long time. She ended up getting a double transplant two days in a row, a kidney and a liver. And then she was finally healthy again. And then a year later, she was killed by a drunk driver who was 17 years old. And so like when we talk about like the family stuff that's around the, the, this organ transplant issue that runs in my family, things get really wildernessy. And man, I boohoo bawled my eyeballs about it today. Um, so there's all sorts of things in our lives that sometimes we know are coming that will put us into a wilderness. Then there's all sorts of things that catch us off guard and just send us there. And so we're going to talk about somebody named Hagar. Everybody say Hagar. We're going to talk about Hagar, and she, I have a weird bubble in my throat. Do you ever have that happen to you? Wow, that was weird. Um, She has this really interesting story that we gloss over so often in scripture. Hagar was in the same family um, household as Abraham and Sarah. Those may be familiar names for you. We often look at Hagar's story from the lens of Abraham and Sarah, but we're actually going to flip and look at Hagar's story through her eyes. She's often overlooked. She's often just kind of glossed over. She's found herself in a very wilderness situation. And uh, when we meet her, she is a servant. Uh, Not actually a servant, she's a slave. She's a slave in the household of Abraham and Sarah. And her life is not actually very easy. Her master, uh, masters, Abraham and Sarah, use her to try to fulfill a promise that God made to them. God made a promise to Abraham and Sarah, who were um, nomads. They had been told early on in their lives, hey, you've got your family here in this part of the world, but I need the two of you to pack up and go on a journey, and I'm going to create a new people from your family, 
I'm going to relocate you. I'm going to put you in a new land. And I'm going to bless all of the people of the world through you. So Abraham and Sarah pack up and they go on this nomadic journey of waiting to hear where God is going to tell them to settle and to plant their family. They don't have kids yet. And so they're on this journey and a couple twists and turns happen on this journey. One of which is they need to go through Egypt, the superpower of Egypt at the day of the day. And so they, they get through, um, they get through Egypt, well, they're going through Egypt, actually, and Abraham says some really fantastic things to his wife. Now, um, I, I don't want to give you any hints, like these are nice things to say, but they're actually kind of couched in like some really weird stuff. So even if this sounds like a nice thing to say, maybe don't take your cues from Abraham. Abraham says to his wife, Sarah, Sarah, you are so beautiful. Like you are gorgeous. You are so attractive that I think the king of Egypt is going to want you for his wife. So here's what we're going to do. Let's pretend we're siblings. <laughs> and when we go through Egypt, we'll just pretend we're siblings so that if the king of Egypt actually does want you for a wife, he won't kill me to get you. Cool? Cool. So this is what they do. They go through Egypt and they assume uh, the roles of brother and sister, which I think just must have been pretty strange. But anyway, so they go through Egypt and what Abraham was afraid of does happen. Uh, so Sarah must have been quite the looker. And so the, the king of Egypt is like, this one, I must have her. And so he takes Sarah into his palace to be his wife. And then this whole kerfuffle just unfolds of these really bad things happening. And it comes out that Abraham and Sarah are actually married. And so the king is like, you guys have to get out. And it's this whole thing. And he sends along their way with them a bunch of gifts, including animals and livestock and gold and servants. So Hagar's name is never mentioned in this story, but later when we meet her, we meet her using uh, these words. The words in Genesis chapter 16 say, but Sarah had an Egyptian servant named Hagar. Where in the world have, would Abraham and Sarah have picked up an Egyptian servant? Probably in this little time in Egypt. So that's where we meet Hagar. And then her master uses her to try to fulfill this promise that God has given to them because Abraham and Sarah are childless. They don't have any kids, but God has promised them so many descendants that they outnumber the stars in the sky or the sands on the seashore, which is a lot of children. And so they don't have kids yet. And they're getting really old. And so one day, Sarah turns to Hagar. She just kind of looks at Hagar one day and realizes, perhaps I could have a child through Hagar. Now, in this time in the world, it was the wife's duty to provide an heir for her husband, to provide an heir for the family. And so sometimes things like this happened when a wife could not produce an heir, which side note, I have to tell you, it was always like barrenness or child, a childness, uh, a childless situation was always blamed on the wife, whether or not it was actually biologically uh, something that had to do with the wife, but it was always blamed on the wife. So it was the wife's then problem to solve. How do I produce an heir for my husband? And so sometimes a concubine or a maidservant was brought in, and that's what Sarah is problem solving in this sort of situation. So, uh, so Sarah looks at Hagar and is like, well, maybe I can problem solve this way. So Hagar, if we look at this story through her eyes, probably doesn't get the choice of a say in her involvement in this story. So she's being used by her masters to fulfill a promise that their God made to them 
And they're just trying to fast track the thing because they don't see how it's going to happen. So Abraham and Sarah, or Abraham and Hagar sleep together. Hagar becomes pregnant. And if it isn't already sideways enough, this is where it just all falls apart. Hagar becomes pregnant and Sarah, uh, so then Hagar now has contempt for Sarah. And I feel like this kind of makes sense to me because for somebody who's been so used and abused in her entire life, to now actually have a little bit of status in this family to say, like, I am carrying the heir of this household. I I have been able to to accomplish something that my mistress has not. And, And sometimes when we feel ourselves coming into the power that we have been longing for, sometimes it can be really nice to be like, yeah, I'm here now deal with me. And so we see Hagar beginning to step into this role of like, I now have contempt for this woman who has mistreated me for so long. Sarah doesn't handle this very well. Sarah, it says, mistreats Hagar. Now, before you go thinking like, well, mistreats, what does that mean? Like, does she just like, she wouldn't look her in the eye. She was really rude to her. Several chapters later, when, uh, well, a book later in the book of Exodus, where it says that the Hebrew people are then enslaved by the Egyptians, the word used there is that the, the Egyptian people mistreated the Hebrew people. It's the same Hebrew word. So when we're looking here at Sarah mistreating Hagar, it's something that's actually quite significant. And then Abraham uh, does not help. (laughs) Sarah blames Abraham for the whole problem. And then Abraham goes, hey, don't look at me. She's your problem. Not like she's the one that got Hagar pregnant, but also um, Abraham is just like, I am, I just, he's a very hands-off kind of guy. And we kind of see a theme from him like this, where he doesn't actually like problem solve. He kind of is very passive in life. And so Hagar is having contempt for Sarah. Sarah's mistreating Hagar. Sarah is blaming Abraham and Abraham is like, not my problem, she's your problem. So what does Hagar do? The only thing that feels like is her only option left. She runs away. Now, we don't know where she ran, but it would make sense. A lot of people think that she was trying to get back to Egypt, which really, frankly, sucks (laughs) because what kind of life is waiting for her back in Egypt? She doesn't have the protection of family. She doesn't have the protection of, in this day and age, a spouse or a man in her life. Her family were probably slaves in Egypt. So she's in this really like lose-lose situation, but she's just got to get out of where she is. So she's stuck in the wilderness. She's pregnant. She's alone. She is lonely. She's stuck between a rock and a hard place. So she finds herself in the wilderness. And here's something that I really want you to know. This is like a first main point of all of this, is that scripturally speaking, the Hebrew writers of the Bible see the wilderness different than our culture does. So often when our culture thinks of the wilderness, and I'm not talking like the mountain wilderness where you go, like the introverts like me go to get away. (laughs) I'm talking about the wilderness where like nothing lives. Um, In scripture, wilderness is where people go to encounter God. Wilderness, scripturally speaking, is not a place where God is absent, which so often for us, maybe you don't use, oh, I'm in the wilderness right now sort of language, but like, I'm just in like a really dry place spiritually or something like that. Like there's wilderness-ish sort of language coming out when we talk about uh, being in a dry place. But scripturally speaking, the wilderness is where people go to encounter God. And that is exactly what happens to Hagar. This angel appears to her and says to her some really incredible things. The angel says, Hagar, 
Sarah's servant, where have you come from and where are you going? Which I think is quoted in the song Cotton Eye Joe, but that is like neither here nor there. But literally, if you look it up in the NLT, the angel says, <laughs> Hagar's uh, mistress of Sarah, where have you come from and where are you going? And Hagar says, I'm running away. <laughs> and so then the angel says to her, these words that Hagar had probably not heard ever in her life by anybody around her, not from them or on behalf of any higher power being. And we don't know Hagar's relationship with God at this point. We know that Hagar's been in Abraham and Sarah's household. She's heard about Yahweh. She's heard about the God that they worship. We don't know if she was ever involved in those worship experiences. But the angel says to Hagar, the Lord has heard your cry of distress. You are pregnant with a son, not a daughter. You are pregnant with a son, which means that all of the protection and the provision in your life that you have not yet had to this point in time is coming. This son that you will have, this heir that you will have will be able to take care of you. You are going to have a son and you are to call him Ishmael, which means God hears. So this is an incredible experience for Hagar to have. And then what happens next is some bad news, but there's some good news mixed in. The angel says to Hagar, you got to go back to Abraham and Sarah. Now, if I was the angel, I would have loved to, or like the pastor in me, the pastoral care presence in me is like, I want this angel to be like, I know it's going to be really hard. I know you're going back to people who have used and abused you. I know that you don't know what you're going back to, but it's going to be okay because God is with you. The angel does not say that, but the angel does say, I need you to go back to Abraham and Sarah. And what I wish that they, that the angel said was, um, at this point, you're about to become a single unwed mother. And your future is not going to be secure. So by going back to Abraham and Sarah, you're actually going to be cared for. You carry the air of this family. I know it's going to be probably the hardest thing you've ever done, but God is going to protect you through this family. So then the other thing that the angel says, and this is incredible. This is what you heard in the Bible reading at the beginning, which sometimes when you hear it out of context, you don't know what's happening here. But there may have been some familiar words. What the angel then says to Hagar is, the angel gives the exact same promise that God has given to Abraham and Sarah. God gives this exact same promise to Hagar. Says you will have an incredible family. You will have innumerable descendants. The world will be changed through you. And so then Hagar says this then to the angel, to God. You are the God who sees me. This is coming from someone who has like never been seen in their entire life, who has lived a life of being outcast, who has lived a life of loneliness, who has lived a life of not really having any agency or control or say in anything that happens because she feels seen. And it enables her to go back to this less than ideal situation. So we're going to pause there on Hagar's story. There's going to be a little bit more that we're going to pick up in a few moments. But I want to make an interesting leap back to Justin Bieber. Go with me on this. So Hagar and Justin Bieber are not the same person at all. Uh, Justin Bieber is a white male. <laughs> Hagar is not a white male and very much not a white male in the context of this day that she lived. She was an Egyptian slave living not in Egypt. She's a slave at that. She's a woman. She's a foreigner. There's all sorts of different dynamics. But when we start to just look at our human experience 
And all of the things that all of us go through when it comes to feeling like we're in the wilderness, feeling like we're lonely, feeling like we're abandoned, feeling like people don't see us, people feeling like people don't know what's going on actually in our lives because we just say like, I'm fine. <laughs> well, that resonated in the room, okay. <laughs> Even Justin Bieber, I had that weird bubble again. Even Justin Bieber and Hagar have something in common, feeling lonely. And you and I also have that in common as well. The interesting thing is what happens to Hagar when she feels seen, when she knows that this God sees her. And a really interesting thing has happened in the life of Justin Bieber. His story is really fascinating to me. By no means is he a perfect person. He would also be somebody to tell you that himself. His faith story is really fascinating to me. Jesus, he's always been a a Christian, or at least was raised as a Christian. Um, Take a look at this clip of what he says. This was filmed in 2020 about where he's at now with his faith, with this God who he knows sees him and has entered his life and changed his life and transformed his heart take a look i was thinking the other day i was really like i'm in the best place in my whole life right now i'm the most fulfilled i feel the most stable i feel the most secure i feel the most confident i feel so just at peace for the first time in my life i don't feel like i'm striving i feel like i know who god's called me to be where I am, where I'm supposed to be. That is amazing. I love you for real. They want to come and sing your praises. Your name is Keshi. They don't see you how I see you. Parlay and Desi. Tweet, tweet, Hesse. He get the jet ski. Those own guys are so hard. Oh, God. The way you hold me feels so holy. And is he talking about Jesus or is he talking about his wife? Unsure. I think that's on purpose for his uh, songwriting. But the thing that he's saying and singing there on the stage at SNL under a blue cross, singing with Chance the Rapper, who's also a Christian and a, a deeply committed follower of Jesus Christ, is he has this faith. He has this sense of being seen and the hope that comes with that. But we don't always get to stay there, right? Like hope comes to us through this God that sees us when we know that no matter who we are, what we're facing, that God does see us and God does care for us. It doesn't always just stay hopeful. So part two of what happens with Hagar is years later after Ishmael is born and the boys are being raised together, things get really dicey. Hagar and Sarah have some competition yet again and Sarah kicks Hagar out yet again. She tells Abraham, get this woman out of here, get her son out of here. I don't care what you have to do. Pack her a bag, give her water. I don't care, get her out of here. And Abraham's like, okay, (laughs) because that's Abraham apparently spineless and so he like packs her this water bottle and this bag and gives her a loaf of bread and sends the mother of his child and his eldest child out into the wilderness so Hagar gets kicked out yet again and yet again an angel shows up Hagar is thinking that she's going to die at this point she thinks that her son now is going to die and this angel shows up and says 
Hagar, God has heard the boy crying. So now not only has Hagar heard from this angel in the previous time God sees you, but now she has it on the authority of this angel that God not only sees you, but God also sees your son. God has heard the boy crying, get up, open your eyes. I have put some sustenance for you here. And she opens up her eyes and she sees that there's actually a well right in front of her. Now, did God just go like, ding, and the well appeared? Unsure. Or in her like distressed state, did she just like so many of us just fall down next to the thing that's going to give her sustenance and is like, oh my gosh, this is the worst thing. Like, I don't know about you, but I like sometimes will go to my cupboards or my fridge or whatever and like open and be looking for something and then be like, it's not here. And it's actually right in front of me. Um, I don't know if that's what happened with Hagar in this well, but I just know that, uh, that her son's name is Ishmael, which means God hears. So God, this angel reminds her, God hears you. God sees you. God hears your son. Here's some sustenance. And so she opens her eyes. She sees this well right here. She and her son are able to drink. They are able to eat. And it says then that they don't go back to Abraham and Sarah, they don't go back to Egypt, but they actually stay in the wilderness and live there and make a life there. Their life is able to be sustained in this dry and weary place because of the goodness that God brings to them. So a couple of things that I want to highlight from this story for you, there may have been some things that you just kind of like that stuck out to you as we walked through her story. But one of the three of the things that stick out to me, the first one being uh, some, some spiritual hurt or some church hurt that the church doesn't exist yet at this point in time. But Hagar would have heard a lot about this God that Abraham and Sarah worship. She would have seen their, uh, the people that they were with, the, fi- the few family members that did come with them. She would have seen them worship she would have seen them pray. She would have seen angels come visit them. And yet these are the people that mistreated her so harshly. And the really difficult part as a church leader is knowing we still do that same stuff today. In in our, in our sin, in our brokenness, we'll worship God and pray and do the best we can and then turn and hurt people because we are just not paying attention. And sometimes we hurt people and then those people walk away with spiritual hurt. So Hagar has this spiritual hurt, but it doesn't stop her from feeling seen by this God that loves her. Hagar's story is about what other people wanted. She was given away by Pharaoh, so she was emotionally abandoned by um, by the leader of her country. Uh, she, who knows what was happening with her family situation, but she wasn't able to stay connected with her family. So Pharaoh gave her up to Abraham. Sarah gave her to Abraham. Abraham gave her up when the conflict arose between Uh, members of the household multiple times. So she's got this sense of emotional abandonment as well. And then she was very limited in her resources, in her agency. She's essentially powerless. And even in carrying the air of this family doesn't give her the leg up that she needs. And it's not surprising that she ran away from them and from their God. But the thing about Hagar that she was able to discover and that I want to invite all of you to consider tonight is that Wherever in your life in, in your life you feel like you are Hagar, you feel unseen, you feel powerless, you feel like things are out of your control, you feel like you're in a dry place, you're very weary. So wherever it is that you feel unseen in your life, I want you to know the good news that God sees you. 
God sees the things that you face. God knows the places where you feel dry. God knows the the things that make you feel separated or cut off. God knows the things that make you feel lonely. And you are seen by a good God who has for centuries been providing for God's people. God's people that are in God's family, God's people that are outside of God's family. So I invite you to consider where do you feel like you're in the wilderness right now? Where do you feel like you're in a dry place? Where do you feel like you don't know what way is up, what is coming? Maybe you feel like you're in a space where you should feel okay, but you just don't. Where do you feel like you're in the wilderness right now? And the good news is that God always meets people in the wilderness. God always does. You don't have to be scared of walking into dry places. Here's one of the incredible things about Hagar. She is the first person in all of scripture, in this entire book, she's the first person to name God. She's a woman. Women weren't supposed to be able to like do that. She's a foreigner. She's not even, quote unquote, in this family that God has chosen to be the chosen family that God is going to bless the world through. She's an outsider. She's in the wilderness. She thinks she's going to die multiple times. God always meets people in the wilderness. The last question that I want to leave you with is just a reflection upon Sarah. How are you not honoring other people in the midst of life's uncertainties right now? Our world is an unsettled place. There's a lot going on. People have a lot going on. I don't know if you've noticed. People have a lot going on. Everyone's kind of on edge. Us. And so so many of us, when we're on edge, we just don't have capacity for other people's stuff. And so when we're on edge and then everyone else is on edge, we just say one thing and it just sets off this matchbox of trouble. But the good news is, is that no matter where we're at, healthy, unhealthy, yucky, weird, whatever, God loves us through our yuck and into health. Even people like Sarah, even people like Abraham who had mistreated Hagar so incredibly. So I invite you to consider in this story who you resonate with. Who do, who do you resonate with the most? And how can watching this story of how God unfolds in Hagar's life and this origins story in scripture be the vehicle that delivers God's hope that you need right now? What is the thing that you need right now? Because here's the thing, there's no hero in this story. Hagar isn't the hero. Abraham isn't the hero. uh, Sarah isn't the hero. God is. Because no matter where it is that you are, no matter how far away you might feel from the goodness of God, from the wealth and the abundance of heaven's resources, God sees you. God hears you and God can give you what it is that you need. Let's pray. God, I thank you so much for your word. I thank you so much for your love. I thank you so much for your goodness and your kindness and your peace and all the good things that you bring to us. God, for anybody in the room who is feeling lonely, who's feeling unsure, who's feeling uncertain, feeling on the margins of life, just isn't really quite sure where the goodness of heaven is gonna come from, God, I ask that you would meet them right now. I ask that you'd pour your love out on them and however that wants however you want that to show up for anybody who's hearing my voice. God, I ask that you would bring that. 
God, whether that's a feeling of warmth, whether that's a feeling of being seen, whether that's the, the awareness of your work around us, if it's a phone call, God, we ask that you'd speak to us. We love you and we lift all this up to you. In Jesus' name, and all God's kids said, amen. Let's stand and worship.